Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Editor's Desk right here on Biz News Radio. I'm Felicity Duncan with me on the line, Editor-in-Chief Alec Hug. Alec, we had a really spectacular week in international markets and we saw US markets closing at all-time highs. Um, in fact, you know, both uh, the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ were hitting um, all-time highs. And after the meltdown at the end of last year, that's quite a turnaround and, and quite an interesting situation to find ourselves in. It really is, Felicity, and we keep a close eye on this because of the Business Global Portfolio, which has now been going for, well, nearly five years. And then the exponential portfolio that is effectively the way I see markets and what I invest in. And uh, then if people on easy equities want to replicate, they can do it there as well. So it, it focuses the mind when you actually have your own money on the table or as uh, this wonderful book I'm reading by Nassim Taleb uh, puts it, skin in the game, it's called. It's, it really is exceptional. If you've got skin in the game, you do look at things differently. And if you recall, after the September meltdown last year, in particular, tech stocks took an awful hiding. You had Amazon coming down from... I think it got, it got to over uh, $2,000 a share at one point and coming all the way down to about $1,300. And there was a lot of panic selling. At that time, I remember getting emails from people saying, uh, this, surely this is the end of it. And the, the, the longest bull market in history has to end at some point. But it didn't appear to us then that, A, it was a good time to sell into a panic situation. That certainly isn't the time to sell. It should, it's when you should be buying. But secondly, that the exponential companies haven't really run out of uh, runway by any means yet. So as a consequence of that, we did do a few shifts later on where Google was worrying me with uh, all the fines that they're getting now and the, and the pressures that are going on, uh, the, the uh, privacy stuff. And we then uh, bought into some very cheap shares in the banking sector. But we actually stuck with it. And, well, uh, you take a deep breath go through the the uh, the turbulence and now stocks in the US are back to all-time highs. So it just shows the value of long-term thinking when you're investing and the value of not following the crowd, but just staying with your convictions, understanding why it is that you've made an investment uh, and what the reason is behind it. And if the circumstances haven't changed in that investment, then there's no reason to let the fashions influence you. And I think there was just another very good less, a, a, a very good um, bit of learning there for us over the past six months. Yeah, certainly so. And it's interesting, you know, I just recently read some, uh, we had a great piece up on the site, uh, Let Buffett saying how, how much fun he's having at the ripe age of 88. Um, and he, he was saying, you know, he's had for the last few years this problem of bagging an elephant, which in Buffett speak means he's just really struggled to find a very large acquisition that's going to move the needle on the uh, Berkshire portfolio. And that really comes out of the fact that there are, you know, very uh, healthy valuations right now that the, the market's been performing well and that Buffett himself has sort of avoided these exponential stocks and hobbled himself to an extent. I mean, I know he has Apple in the portfolio, but he stayed away in general from the, the tech sector. Um, so it just shows, you know, the kind of market we have right now where there's these giant companies and they're thriving, they're performing really well, and that's keeping valuations high. Mm, indeed. And many of them from Silicon Valley. Apple is a, is a good example. 
that was a stock that we bought into the portfolio at $120. It went all the way down to $90, and since then has uh, turned around very nicely. And Buffett has been buying those shares from, I think, about $130, $140. And when they get uh, got to $200 in September, uh, at that point in time, uh, they then collapsed all the way down to about 140 And at, at that point, some people were saying that Apple was – going to the dogs. It wasn't selling as many iPhones as, as it had in the past. But once again, why did Buffett buy into it? Why did we buy into it? Because of the ecosystem, the big ecosystem, the big services opportunity that hasn't even been touched yet, whereas Wall Street is focusing entirely on the short-term iPhone sales being the most important. You've got to look, if, you, if you're buying into a company, at what's going, to, what's going to move the needle, as you put it, in the long term. And that is uh, is the the a billion devices that are in people's hands that they are, are integrated uh, in an environment in an ecosystem which just gets stronger and stronger. So it's that thing called the network effect, where when you only have one fax machine, it's really hopeless. But if you have a million fax machines, um, it it really does become uh, pretty productive. Similarly with emails, if you're the first person with an email, it doesn't really help you. Um, but of course, when you've got billions of them. Uh, as we have right now, uh, it's it's uh, and and this network effect goes throughout society. WhatsApp is another example. Telegram, which is the Russian equivalent uh, and a very very uh, very useful equivalent to WhatsApp, another uh, one that's really catching fire now. And the more you get in, the more the network effect kicks in, and the more the network effect kicks in, the better your longer term uh, returns come. And Apple's really. You're buying it for the network effect within all of those devices. That's what Buffett knows. It's back above $200 a share. Thank you for reminding me about fax machines, Alex. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about them for a long time. <laughs> uh, that was really silly. Sorry. No, I, no, no. I, I just, it's great. I it's great. <laughs> Never heard of fax machines, but anyway. It was a a great reminder. I remember how exciting it was to send a fax and receive a fax. Um, I bought bought one in 1987, Felicity, just before. I remember it well, just before the the, uh, the 87 crash. And it was so newfangled that you had to ask people for their fax numbers. (laughs) Or did you have a fax machine? And, of course, today, I I think, (laughs) anyway, they're pretty worthless. But uh, thanks to email. Yeah, which just shows you, I guess, again, how quickly networks can be replaced, right? Because there were a fax machine in every office and then email came along and knocked fax machines right out of the park. And it happened very fast. So Mm. just a a useful reminder that things can change. Uh, Speaking of things changing, let's talk a bit about what's been going on in South Africa this week, because there's been a lot of uh, big and important news on the corruption front, let's call it. Um, First of all, I know you've been paying a lot of attention this week to what's been going on with uh, the PIC, with the commission, with, uh, with uh, you know, the uh, information that's emerging about Iqbal survey. Do you want to tell us a bit about what you've been looking at? Yes, well, I think the big news came on Friday with the, well, Thursday, actually Thursday night, with the firing of effectively the number two and the number three in the National Prosecuting Authority. And we need to go back a little bit. If you have got public prosecutors who are not doing their job, then the whole system fails. The whole rule of law collapses. You need to have, uh, if, if people commit crimes, they need to be arrested, first of all, which is fine. When the police, I guess there's, there's enough police on the ground, so that will happen. But it doesn't help if you cannot 
put them in jail through the prosecutions. Now, in South Africa, the National Prosecuting Authority was run by a guy called Sean Abrams, who was who was parachuted in from a very lowly position. This was a Jacob Zuma special. It was his, that, that was his template. He would take these these underlings um, who really were highly ambitious but not very competent, and then elevate them many rungs above their competence but with a total loyalty towards him. And that's what Abrahams was doing. And then Abrahams had under him this uh, uh, really awful uh, woman called Nomkobo Jiba, uh, who was the deputy, uh, who was receiving, according to Agrizi, 100,000 rand a month in cash from the whole Bosasa operation. And then further down uh, below her was a guy called Lawrence Mrebi, who was only getting 10,000 rand a month, I suppose. Now he's a bit peed off that he wasn't getting more than, than, than or at least a, a better proportion than his boss. But what has happened uh, in the past was the, the Sean Abrams went through a long process, a legal process, to eventually find that he was not fit and proper for the office. So he's gone, replaced by a, a very uh, competent, one hopes, uh, Shamila Batoy, who came from the International Criminal Court where she's been serving for almost a decade and very highly respected there anyway. So she's now entrenched. The problem, though, is that she's still got people in the organization, in the prosecuting authority, who aren't really uh, those that she would have selected, and particularly these number two and number three. On Thursday night, after a commission of inquiry, number two and number three were fired and ejected from the system, which really opens up a uh, batoy to the opportunity of giving South Africa's Operation Car Wash the boost that it needs. And just for those who, who don't know what I'm talking about there, this is what happened in Brazil, where in effect, the if you take the American system, the, the leader of the House of Representatives and the leader of the Senate in Brazilian terms well, are both in jail today. So is the former president, uh, uh, Lula da Silva. So it, when Operation Car Watch started uh, investigating all of the corruption that, that happened there, first of all, they needed the, the right people in the prosecuting authority and secondly, uh, they needed time. And that's now we've, we've gone in South Africa through the one, the first step, which is the right people in the prosecuting authority, or we, we're there, we're much closer to that now with number two and three having, uh, having been ejected. It will give the new head of the NPA the opportunity to uh, appoint real, as I wrote in one of my newsletters this week, uh, Rottweilers into those jobs, uh, not the, the lap poodles that we had there before. So, Hope springs as far as that is concerned. As far as the PIC commission is concerned, now this was an interesting one because it was the result of uh, some very scurrilous allegations made by a politician, Bantu Holomisa, in June last year where he alleged that there were a group of uh, businessmen who had been filching from the PIC. They had favored status from from the public investment commissioners and as a consequence of that, they'd been feathering their own nests. As a result, uh, he wrote this long letter. He's being sued for it. He's doing very poorly in the defamation suit, but uh, talk about that in a moment. But he sent this long letter to the president uh, asking him to investigate. But, of course, before that, Holomisa, being very media savvy, uh, gave that letter to people in the media who didn't question it and republished all of his allegations. The people that he, he fingered or pointed out have uh, came forward. And in fact, I did an interview uh, last July with the kingpin, if you like, of it or the alleged 
kingpin, uh, alleged kingpin, um, Tepo uh, Mahuela, and that he unpacked the way he unpacked it. There, it, it was quite it was quite obvious that Holomisa was actually barking up the wrong tree. That, however, uh, Holomisa's barking did create a commission of inquiry into the public investment commissioners, and there have been some uh, unexpected uh, or unintended consequences of that in that the managerial style of the uh, executives there have been put under question. And, of course, uh, Iqbal surveyed. It's the worst thing that could have happened for him because his whole transaction with an organization called IO has now come into the spotlight. And it's quite clear that there was a lot of skullduggery that went on, in fact, probably fraud. And uh, those are issues that are now going to uh, – now that Iqbal survey and his independent newspaper Empire is – is uh, is really teetering as a consequence of it. So it's interesting, the unintended consequences of, of all of this. But the guys that Holomisa went for in the first place um, uh, are coming out of the whole inquiry, I won't say smelling of roses because that's probably a bit exaggerating, but they certainly are coming out with an extremely believable story and uh, very factually supported. So it's, it's always interesting uh, the, the way that these things play out uh, it's not always the the intention, uh, but sometimes the consequences are beyond what we would have hoped for. And that seems to have happened here where uh, a can of worms was opened up, not the can that they thought, but a completely different one. And uh, the consequences, again, for the, the new South Africa, if you like, for the, the new dawn in South Africa are very positive. Yeah, and it's certainly good to see the kind of, you know, I don't know if you recall that a while back we talked about what we would want to see happen to know that there was something effective being done about corruption. And one of the things that we spoke about was uh, a cleanup at the NPA, the installation of the right people so that we were going to see an effective institution that would actually go out and do its job. And so it's, you know, it's really encouraging to see that uh, unfolding the way it is because it sort of says, well, look, you know, what we needed to see being done is being done. And that means that we're on the right path to ultimately cleaning up everything. So very encouraging stuff. It is, Felicity. And also a, a reminder that we live in a constitutional democracy. And I know a lot of people uh, certainly on social media, have been saying, why is uh, the, the president not moving faster? Well, the president isn't moving fast. He's moving as fast as he can according to the law. And when you live in a constitutional democracy, you follow the constitution, you follow the law. You don't, everybody, doesn't matter how uh, um, complicit they are or how deep it appears uh, that they've been in the corrupt processes, everybody in those situations needs to be given the opportunity to be tried under a legal system. Otherwise, you get kangaroo courts, and, and that ends up in chaos. The Brazilians went through it. It took them three years of investigation before the first guy went to jail. But my goodness, have they been able to, as a consequence of that, clean out their system. And a similar thing, I believe, is happening in South Africa. And really, when you look at this and you look at the consequences into the future of the the, the process that's being taken now, You've got to do it slowly. You've got to do it correctly. You've got to let the wheels of justice grind at their pace because they do grind finely. But you just have to – there's, no, uh, there's no purchase in subverting the process. Allow the process to go through the right way for the future. And that is exactly the, the understanding that Sir Ramaphosa has, and that's the process that he's following. 
the dogs will bark, but boy, in this case, the caravan's moving on. Well, that's all we have time for. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to read a transcript of this interview, one is available on business.com up in the premium section. You can sign up for premium. It's five pounds a month and that gives you access to our great content and full digital access to the Wall Street Journal. <laughs>